0: This week's Sport Zone on Salford City Radio, I'm Rob Parkson, and we're here talking all things sport in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got James Sweetnam. James, looking forward to talking all things sport in Salford.
1: Yeah, most certainly, and Rob. It's been an interesting week in the world of
0: sport, and I can't wait to break it down with you and Paul over the next hour. Yeah, we've also got Paul Whiteside from The Devil in the Detail, Paul. Uh, anything exciting happening to you uh, this weekend in the sporting world?
2: Well, yeah, I witnessed uh, an excellent result for Salford, as you did on on Sunday against Leeds Rhinos. A great, great result there. Kept me eye on a bit of the football as well. I watched a bit of the boxing that um, was on the television at the Victoria Warehouse in Manchester. So, it's been a, yeah, it's been a pretty sport-filled uh, weekend for me.
0: Yeah, lots to go at on the Sport Zone this week. And we'll start with football and the FA Cup final. Uh, Liverpool beat Chelsea on penalties, uh, James. Uh, just like the League Cup, Ends up nil-nil in normal time and extra time. And then Liverpool win it on penalties.
1: Yeah, ultimately Mason Mount winning that impo- uh, missing that important penalty, should I say. Mm. Liverpool FA Cup champions sent the crowd into absolute raptures. And Rob, the most important thing that's coming out of this game is that the quadruple is just about still flickering a light for this side.
0: Yeah, it is. And obviously Liverpool chasing down that quadruple. A uh, lot of talk whether they will get there or not, Paul. And if they do, obviously, manage to win the quadruple, does that mean they are the greatest uh, British football team ever? Oh, I don't know about that. I think that's a,
2: a big accolade, isn't it? But, you know, we, Liverpool are a team with a lot of history, aren't they? Especially the European Cup as well. It's, uh, it's no mean feat to win it the amount of times they've won it. And, you know, with the results at the weekend, the way that they've gone... It, it should take it down to the, the the last game now, you know, if all goes to plan. So um, it's been an excellent season for, for, for Liverpool, but uh, I think I get lynched on here. if I said, the, <laughs> the greatest British side of all time. So uh, no, I'll stay clear from that one. I'll sit on the fence there. But no, they've had an excellent season, and uh, and yeah, another big win in the, in the FA Cup. I think what what the game showed against Chelsea was that those two teams are pretty close. There's not a lot between you know going after the results that they had against each other this year.
0: Yeah, Jurgen Klopp, one of all trophies available to him as Liverpool manager now, James. Does he rate amongst one of the greatest British coaches of all time? Yeah, most certainly. I mean, one of the very best to manage in this league, for
1: sure. I mean, the other week on the show, we talked about some of the greatest managers of all time. We were talking Sir Alex Ferguson and Pep Guardiola was in the mix. I think we had him at two or three. Mm -hmm. Jurgen Klopp now has to be in that conversation. He's won everything. If he wins a second Champions League with Liverpool, you've
0: got to put him amongst the best ever. You have, you have, and I, and I think obviously, you know, from what he, he, he came into at Liverpool, uh, Paul, it was a bit of a mishmash, and it's took him a few years to, to get where they are now. And it, it kind of, you kind of wonder because he signed a new contract as well for, for Liverpool. You know how far he can take this team. Yeah,
2: I mean, if you look at Liverpool, I mean, they last won the, won the league, didn't they? Um, before the Premier League started, sort of mm. back end of the 80s, they were a, a top side, weren't they? And then for, for all the way through the 90s, really, in the 2000s, yeah, they won a couple of cup competitions, didn't they? But they never really... Really played to the potential in the Premiership and you know came close a couple of times, but we're always at arm's length from, from sort of Manchester United and Arsenal and Chelsea and never really got you know got near that that Holy Grail of winning the Premiership. But you look at the amount of money that they spent over that, that period of time, an awful lot of money spent there, and a lot of managers went in there and failed, didn't they? A lot of big name managers as well. So I think Jurgen Klopp has uh, took that sort of a. Yeah, it was a bit of a poison chalice, I suppose, really. It wasn't the Liverpool job and um, he took it and he made it his own. I think he stamped his, his authority on that and his character as well. He's a he's a very good motivator and man-manager, Jürgen Klopp, and he's, he's getting the best out of that side now. They're, they're a very, very good side.
0: Yeah, obviously, Chelsea as well with uh, Roman Ivanovic and all the Russia thing and the, and the uh, Ukraine thing. The club is sort of trying to be sold to, to another party, uh, James, and... Uh, Obviously, how do you think that's going to affect them moving forward? Obviously, getting to a League Cup final, getting beat, getting to the FA Cup final, a lot of change potentially happening at Chelsea.
1: Yeah, there's a lot going on, isn't there? I mean, Chelsea, not had the greatest season. If you remember at the start, I think we both predicted them to do quite well and it hasn't really worked out for them in the way we thought it was. Tim Bowles, of course, he's bought the club now, hasn't he? He's got a humongous net worth. He owns, I think, a basketball club in America. He owns a baseball club. He's got ridiculous pockets. Potentially to rival Roman Abramovich. So I still think they'll be in a good place going forward.
0: Does that, does, obviously the two clubs that he owns are, I'm going to test you here, James, truth be told, but are, are they kind of sort of in par with Chelsea? Or are they leaders in their own field?
1: It's difficult to say, isn't it? I mean, when you look at a lot of these American sporting clubs, typically, yes, they're very big in America. They don't always cross over. I mean, no. the LA Lakers, he's got he's got shares within them. Obviously, they're an absolutely massive side mm. around the globe. And they've got the Los Angeles Dodgers as well in terms right. of baseball. I don't know if the Dodgers are quite on Chelsea's level. I think you'd have to say that the Lakers are. But if Roma Abramovich hasn't managed to get a league win for Chelsea in all this time, is, is this American block going to be able to come over and do that?
0: It's a good question, because obviously sometimes money doesn't obviously buy your success. Sometimes it does, but sometimes it doesn't, Paul. We had uh, a great leader in Marwan Kukash who had uh, big pockets, but it didn't really help us out.
2: Uh, I wouldn't call him a great leader, Rob. (laughs) (laughs) You can call him what you want, but no... (laughs) In all all fairness, no, it's right. It doesn't. um, I think the culture's got to be right at a football club, rugby club, sporting club. You can't just throw money at things because, you know... You'll always get mercenary people who who will just take the money, won't they? And um, you need to get that right culture first. And obviously, yeah, it's great having having backing, having funding to to bring in good players. But I think it starts at the bottom. You've got to build from the foundations upwards. And uh, yeah, you know, you could you could have sort of ten million quid now and throw it at a rugby league team, but would not mean say you'd be champions at the end of next season, would it? So uh, or, or that probably that goes for a football team as well. Mm. With a football team, you need a bit more than ten million, I think. But uh, but yeah, you, you, you get me drift, don't you?
3: Yeah.
0: I, I, when I went up great, I meant man with big pockets, but man with big pockets who has short arms didn't quite work out for us. So let's talk Man City now, James. Um West Ham 2, Man City 2, two points drop for City.
1: Yeah, two big points drop for City at a pivotal point in the season. You still imagine that the citizens will be able to see this through. If they just beat Aston Villa, it's pretty much job done. But Paul... Pep Guardiola, things went wrong for him in the Champions League the other week. Is he going to be able to hold it and get this one over the line or is he going to crumble again?
0: Well, it's, good, frank- it's a good sorry. question, James. Obviously, you know, with what happened in the Champions League, Paul, the pressure is building on Pep Guardiola. He does have a tendency to overthink things uh, strategy-wise. And obviously, we've only won, so, sorry, two games, uh, sorry, one game left. Liverpool have chased him as well. You just need to make sure they get over the line.
2: Yeah, i just. I know there's only one game left, but I thought i was just going to get the league table up just so I can do the maths. And me, I'm not very good at maths. But you know, Liverpool win that game, in hand, I think it's against Southampton. Is it? Yeah. They're a point behind, then going into the last game. So you know, Manchester City are in the driving seat in that last game. Aren't they? They're a point in front, but they've got to win that last game. A draw, and Liverpool win. Liverpool are going to win the league, aren't they? So they're at home, aren't they? City for that for that last game. So you would, you wouldn't really bet against City, but you know, it comes down to that last game when Aguero scored that goal. Was home to QPR I think QPR was struggling at the bottom end of the table and they made every weather of that didn't they <laughs> you know won it late on so it's going to be if it all goes to plan and Liverpool win their game and it's going to go to the last game of the season I think you know it's fitting really for the title race that it does go down to the wire and you're going to have some some nails bitten and, uh, and some real nerves there aren't you but the, at the, two, uh, the two clubs Liverpool and Manchester City it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a frantic last day
0: yeah, uh, City are at home to Villa, Liverpool at home to Wolves, James. Uh, interesting there, because obviously both teams you play against, don't have to play for?
1: No, but they are teams that usually give it the role. So I don't mm. think that either team's necessarily guaranteed to get the points. But while we're on the con- uh, part of Manchester City, Rob, mm. big news for the citizens, Erling Haaland has officially signed a deal. He'll be moving there next season. And yeah. What a massive signing he is. For just £51 due to the release clause.
0: Yeah, and everyone was calling out for Harry Kane to go to Man City last year. City played patiently, didn't dive in and end up with Haaland for half the price of what they were being quoted for Harry Kane. Fantastic piece of business for Man City, quality player, great goal scorer. He could be the missing piece, uh, Paul, in in the Pep Guardiola puzzle.
2: Well, certainly. Yeah, I mean, I know City have scored plenty of goals this season, but I've had a few people say to me, you know, they've not really got, you know, an abundance of out and out strikers. And, and, and Highland's, um proven a quality player, isn't he? Obviously, Dad played for for Man City as well, so um, there's a bit of a connection there. But yeah, he's a quality player, and to get him at that price, I mean, I know fifty million is a lot of money, but it's it's not. You know, in football terms these days, it's probably a steal that really isn't it, compared to what the money they probably would have spent if they'd have signed uh, Harry Kane. So uh, they've got themselves a really good sign in there, and uh, I'm sure he'll, he'll be banging the goals in for fun next season. And it's frightening, really, because they've done that well this season and scored that many goals. You know, with a, with another uh, sort of player on their armory like that, how good are they going to be next season?
0: It's uh, going to be interesting to say, uh, James. A little bit, a last bit of the uh, news for City, a uh, Man City. Unveiled a statue uh, for Aguero uh, celebrating his, uh, his glorious goal against Queen's Park Rangers all them years ago. Um, what do you make of it?
1: I think it's probably fair to say that Sergio Aguero is the most iconic player in the history of the club. Mm. When you bear in mind how important that last minute goal was. It was absolutely pivotal in Manchester City almost taking the torch on from Manchester United. When the Red Devils spiralled, City thrived and it was all because of Sergio Aguero. And had that not happened, we have no idea where the landscape of football would be right now.
0: And another plus point, it does look like the Terminator coming out of the firepower, all glowing blue. (laughs) (laughs) Who's that, mate? Aguero statue.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. I've not seen it, to be
0: honest with you. I've not seen it,
2: but... uh... But yeah, it's it's a great um, sort of tribute. I mean, no, that that sort of moment aside, I think he was a great servant to Manchester City over a number of years, wasn't he? You want to go look at his goal scoring record for the club? So, uh, so yeah, and um, you know, he'll go right, go down in Manchester City folklore, won't he? Really? So, yeah, a statue. It's it's a, it's a great tribute to a to a to a player. It's I don't know. It's it's not something I'd want after me a statue. Not when I was you know still. Sort of fairly Life. young, anyway. You think of stat- <laughs> yeah. You think of statues like years later, don't you? Like mm. decades later after the events happen, like sort of thing. But I remember St. Ellen's getting one of um, of Kieran Cunningham at their ground one yeah. and, uh, when he was still at the clubs. It was a bit strange. So, uh, but yeah, a great tribute to to Aguero. He's been a been a massive player for City.
0: Yeah, let's talk about Man United now, James. Man United youth won the youth uh, league cup, uh, FA league, Champions League, FA Cup, was it? Uh, youth FA Cup, sorry, beating Nottingham Forest three-one in, in front of seventy-six thousand uh, people. What a great achievement that is!
1: A fantastic achievement for all this lo- those young lads and a team like Manchester United, the class of ninety-two, that team that always seemed to value youth. And we've come away from that over the last few years, haven't we? We've not played particularly well and we've brought in players like Sanchez and Di Maria who haven't been able to hit the ground running, so to speak. The success that Manchester United had had was because they brought players through who loved the club.
0: Mm.
1: Paul Scholes, Gary Neville, Phil Neville, Nicky Bolt. David Beckham, Ryan Giggs, every single one of them love playing for Manchester United. It was a huge opportunity and they recognised that it was a huge opportunity. So these players that were involved in this final, if we can bring them through, then there's every chance they can do big things on the big stage because they love Manchester United. I mean, Alejandro Ganaccio, two goals for him. He looked absolutely spectacular and I'm hoping that he's a real force for the future. Something an interesting topic here, Rob, and I'm going to vary away from Manchester United to a second and talk about Newcastle United. OK. Now, the richest club in world football, their away kits unveiled and they will be playing in the national colours of Saudi Arabia. Uh, what do you think about that? Um,
0: Saudi Arabia. Tell me what, what are the colours, James. Just give me a clue. It's white and green. So obviously the, the
1: new owners coming in. They'll be the richest club in world football worth, ah, I think, 420-odd billion. I mean, about 10 times more than Manchester City are worth. But obviously, there's a lot of negative connotations for the country for, for certain reasons. Mm-hmm. But they will be going ahead with wearing that shirt, obviously, in an attempt to to build that profile in Saudi Arabia.
0: Yeah, I think it's a bit strange. Obviously, Newcastle don't have any kind of uh, you know history wearing them kind of colours. Um, I think I think it's the obviously the owners putting making their impression on the on the team um, and the club they've bought and. Obviously, Newcastle fans, you know, 70,000 of them every week at, at St. James's Park. Uh, you know, love the merch. I'm sure they'll be out there wanting to to buy it, to raise funds for the club. But like you say, they have the, uh, the biggest pockets in the Premier League now. So um, that will probably result in better standard of a player and, you know, better league position next season.
1: Yeah, m- most likely. It's never ideal when you're in situations like this because obviously you want to love the beautiful game, don't you? Mm. But then things like this sort of Take it away from that, and you do realize that it's a bit of a business. And another player in that position, we were talking about him before, Erling Haaland, mm. made the news a few months ago. I mean, he was with Norway. He did that protest against Qatar because so many people have spoken about how against they are about this tournament, the, the, all the human rights violations that go on in the country, all the LGBT rights uh, violations that go on within the country. So Erling Haaland received a lot of credit for that, as did the whole of the Norway squad. But then he signs for Manchester City, yeah. a team associated with certain things within the Gold State as well. And is there a way around this in football, or, or do you have to play for a team like that? Are they all of a similar ilk?
0: The thing with sport, they always say, don't they? You know, we're not we're not going to get involved in, in world politics. We're going to keep ourselves to ourselves. But then they do, they do get involved in it by signing for teams that have links to to to, to governments of, of of you know various uh, you know. Crimes and stuff they've done, uh, and it's and it's you know, if, if they, they can't keep it separate, I know they wish to and they'd like to announce, but they're all I think politics and sport, Paul, are interlinked, and, and that's unfortunate.
2: Yeah, uh, they shouldn't be, should they? But we no. all know that sport, certain sports, particularly, there's an awful lot of money involved. And if you go through sort of the, the Premier League in football, you, you probably find a lot of that money comes from you know, places where politics are involved, you know, big money and things like that come hand in hand, don't they? So, um, so yeah, it, it, it's difficult. These are money-driven businesses, aren't they, now, at the end of the day? I mean, years ago, you had chairmen who sort of were probably... Brought up as supporters of that club, and you know went on to run a successful business, whether it be like an age firm or whatever. Then they put money into that club, wouldn't they? They were from the town, but it's not really like that now, is it? A lot of the money's from abroad. You know, look at United, it's from like America, isn't it? You know, Chelsea and Abramovich and things like that. It's a global, global thing. In Manchester City, the, the the money they've comes, you know, people say it's like oil money and all that, but it's You know, I wouldn't want to delve into it because I'm, I'm not really an expert on it, but it's it's big business, isn't it? it now so it's it's hypocritical really for football to say he's not involved with that because they're probably paying you wages at the end of the day aren't they
0: so that's all the football chat James let's talk ice hockey now
2: yeah we most certainly
1: will Rob and there's been some huge news going on in the world of ice hockey hasn't there first things first let's kick it off with this GB are in the
0: world championships how have they been getting on? Yeah, World Championships in Finland uh, taking place after the season uh, has has finished. GB have have gone to Finland. The first game, we're going to Czech Republic, who are seventh in the world, placed seventh in the world, and we lost 5-1, unfortunately. Big, big test against the Czechs. They know how to play ice hockey and we were just beaten um, fairly. But then the second game against Norway, uh, we drew three all. Uh, we were 3-0 down. Uh, fought back through goals from Dowd. Perolini and Richardson tied the scores up three apiece. But then Norway won on a penalty shootout. So that's two defeats in two games for Great Britain. But... Not too disappointed because you're playing against the best teams in the world and I'm sure they'll be learning from all the, uh, all the games and bringing it back to the club sides uh, to improve the league.
1: I mean, that second game, Rob, puts on full display how much heart this team has to fight back into the game. Admittedly, the result didn't go their way, but even to get back into a stage where they had it to 3-3 is impressive within itself. But what fixtures have we got coming up this week?
0: Yeah, next fixture is against Sweden. Uh, That's on Tuesday, Uh, James. And hoping they can get a point there, maybe, uh, and hopefully progress through to the next round.
1: Yeah, most certainly. I'm going to throw it back over to you now, Rob, to talk rugby.
0: Yeah, let's talk rugby league now, Paul. And Salford Red Devils, uh, the men's team, uh, beat Leeds Rhinos 23 points to 8 on Sunday at the AJ Bell. Talk us through it.
2: Sensational performance from Salford. Rob, we, we spoke about how how gutsy they were at, at Wigan and, and St Helens, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and they didn't come up with it. It was cruel sport, rugby league at times. So much effort into those games, but they took that intensity level. I thought. Into the game against Leeds Rhinos. No, Leeds' team were struggling, but let's have it right, their, their forms improved. They've won a couple of games, you know, back-to-back games uh, uh, headingly, so they were coming into this game in a better form. And Salford started really, really well. Kencio going over for a try, doing what Kensio does best. You know, CO plays, CO scores. Joe Burgess then made it back to back tries gives give Salford uh, a 10-point advantage. And you no, know, they're really in control there, going at half-time, 17 points to uh, uh, 16 points to four, sorry. Andy Acker's got a try there uh, just before the break. And, you know, they were well in control in that match, really. And in the second half, dropped a goal just to extend the lead and, you know, scored another cracking try through Ryan Briley. Brodie Croft, I thought, was absolutely outstanding today uh, on Sunday. But for Salford, he really was in an attack and defence. His defence, for me, he does so much hard work off the ball, but led the line as well, taking the ball he was absolutely fearless with ball in hand. And to have a halfback who run at the defensive line, and then commit at the very, very last second to get his offload away. Sheer bravery, that, because he knows he's going to get a clattered. But that's what classy halfbacks do. And I think he's he's, he's been absolutely tremendous for Salford in the last couple of weeks and uh, really come to the fore. Mark Sneed was back as well. So many players came back at the weekend who'd been out injured. And it was great to see, you know, finally starting to get something like a sort of full strength tied out. So, uh, so yeah, sensational performance from Salford from minute one to 18. Particularly impressed with uh, with the intensity of the defence.
0: How big of a win was it for so, Obviously, the last few weeks? We've t- come up against uh, top sides, elites likes of uh, Wigan, uh, St Ellens, Warrington, losing narrowly each time. But to get over the line against Leeds uh, this week is a big, big win.
2: Well, yeah, we've won one in 10 matches if you include the cup game. So that's relegation form. So it was one of those games. I think a a defeat at the weekend against Leeds would have kept us right down there amongst the dead men You know, with Toulouse beating Wakefield as well. Um, We've sort of pulled away from that now. We've gone above Leeds Rhinos in the table. Confidence is up now. We've got Castleford at home on on Friday, another pivotal game. I think the game against Leeds was a crossroads game for both sides, really, for us and Leeds. And, uh, you know, the winner of it, could go on to bigger and better things now for Salford and Paul Roller. I think it's about time we started looking up the table. As I said, we've got players coming back from injury. There'll be more players coming back as well. You no know, Harvey Levet back in the team, which was great to see. Um, I think this, that's we've got a strong squad when we can get them all fully fit. And towards the back end of the season, now we've got a lot of home games coming up as well. We top every with home games, really compared to away fixtures, so we can put a real push on now. It's about finding that consistency. We, we we showed against St Helens that we compete with the best sides in the league. You know, it wasn't the St Helens side that had loads of players out injured or rested loads of players. That was their first choice side, and we 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 played them for long periods of that game, and then played well against Leeds. So now we've got to find that consistency now and keep going. It's about building now. You can't just look, sit back and pat yourself on the back and say, "Great, we beat Leeds." You've got to take that into the castle game now. Good sides that go into the playoffs, you know, win more than they lose, and that's what Salford have got to do now.
0: So, are you think? Are you saying we're looking up rather than down after this win?
2: I think so. Yeah, yeah. Be, 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 this has been building up for the last couple of weeks, Robbie. You know, we go to the Wigan game, the Saints game. We could have won both those games, and we probably should have won both those matches. So now we've we've beaten Leeds. That's our fourth win of the season. We've got to start looking up the table now. We, we know we can compete with, um, with with everybody in that league, I think, really, on our day. Um, we, we, we have. We've really, really struggled with injuries. There's been no doubt about that. We were down to the bare bones against St. Helens. But today, sorry, I keep saying today, Sunday, it was, um, you know, there's, there's players back in the side, like Lavette who's been out for ages. Joe Burgess has been, been in and out of the side with injury, So it looks like finally we, we, we're getting near to a, near to a side where you, you've got quality. In that team. I mean, Callum Watkins, he's been outstanding recently. So uh, we've, we've got that strength in depth now. So, um, you know, people to call upon. So let, let's hope we can keep that momentum going and confidence, Bill's confidence. You look at Jack Armour, the form he's been in of late. People are hungry now to play well and do well. So uh, I think Castford's another pivotal game for us coming up this week.
0: Yeah, like you say, Castle for this week at home. Another opportunity for the people of Salford to get down to the AJ Bell and support the team. 4,000 in attendance um, on Sunday. Paul and, and you know it's, it's great obviously you know with Man City in the in, uh, championship running um, it's good that you've got a decent crowd
2: well yeah and I mean
0: you know looking forward now as I keep saying we've got a lot of home games coming up
2: and, and sooner rather than later the football season will be finished mm. um, there's, there's not that football I mean you've got Lancashire cricket who'll be playing but you know they're not always going to be clashing with us so a lot of the sport around our area is, uh, is done for the summer isn't it really so, uh, so Rugby League and Salford are um, a shining light for people to go and see and if they're playing rugby like that and winning matches and there's that feel-good factor down there people are going to come and the game against Casper there's going to be a lot of uh, children there again you know school children and, and things like that so it's going to be another kind of atmosphere and if, you, if you've not got your ticket yet I mean you don't need to, to, to buy one in advance you can go down there on, on the night and Buy one. So if you if you're at a bit of a loose end on Friday, I'd, I'd advise you to get down there to the AJ Bell Stadium because there's some fantastic rugby on offer, and uh, you know it's a, it's a really good uh, a good day out, and good night out as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, so for Devil's ladies, were in action today. They are in the semi final of the League Cup. They at Illing with forty two six away from home. Three tries from Lucy McKeon, one from Lauren Ellison, one from Steph Gray, Bradshaw, one from Louise Fellingham, and one from Penny Fletcher. Uh, saw the ladies home.
2: Yeah, another tremendous win, Robin, away from home. To to go away from home in any sort of competition is a great result. And uh, to go to Illingworth, that's a a tough place to go. And uh, they just keep progressing, don't they? Semi-finals now of the Cup. And uh, it'd be tremendous if they could make that final and lift that trophy in their sort of first season, their inaugural season in in rugby league, it'd be a sensational story that, and it might give us some some coverage in the local rugby league press because we've not really got much uh, to be honest this season, you know, but not being in that Super League, so uh, so yeah, it's been a great sort of roller coaster ride up to now, and it's all been good news, hasn't it? So uh, wish the ladies all the luck in the semi final.
0: Yeah, Kaylee. Bradshaw is one of the try scorers. Got me uh, my tongue uh, twisted there. Felt like I was joking. Um, so they're through to the next round, which is great. They've won two from two in the league, Paul. So Chris Bates, ladies, uh, you know, in good form uh, going forward.
2: They certainly are, yeah. They build building momentum and, you know, to, to win by that many points away from them, it wasn't just a close game. That It was a it was a real good win for them. So that's going to build all sorts of confidence and every week they seem to be getting better and better, don't they? You know, scoring plenty of points and, um, and getting used to playing with each other and the more you play together... The more it grows, doesn't it, and keeps snowballing. So, uh, so yeah, it's been a great story so far this season. And, you know, the commitment of those ladies, they're not going to let up. They want to put their foot down on that pedal now and, and win that trophy. So, uh, so yeah, big semi-final coming up. And let's just hope it doesn't clash with the, the men's team and, and we, can all, we can all go to that or perhaps have it as a double header. So I think it'd be terrific to get them uh, back on the pitch at the A.J. Bell.
0: Yeah. Um, other news, Swinton Lions were in action. They were away at Huntslet and won 28 points to 16. Uh, great win for them.
2: It was, yeah, Huntsville at South Leeds Stadium is a tough place to go, and um, you know any results you can pick up away from home in the in League One is good. And we were mentioning last week that they had a, bit, had a bit of adversity, this they? Lost a couple of matches, but they bounced back last two weeks and uh, got themselves back on the on the horse. And another good result away from home today because it's it's a tough league. That you know, Keithley Cougars had a good win at weekend. They uh, they had a really good win against Rochdale Hornets. You have got North Wales Crusaders who who keep winning there and beating in the league as well. So uh, it's been a tough one. There's a lot a lot. Of contenders in that League One, so they just got to keep up there uh, with the uh, with the top horses and keep running and uh, getting the results.
0: Yeah, tries from Mike, but Jack Hansen, George Robey, uh, Lewis Chamouth and Louis Louis, Louis, Louis Brogan. Uh, all got over the line for Swinton. Um, and obviously, you know, you, you talk about uh, the Lions. up Fourth place at the moment, um, six points off the top, who were, who were Crusaders. So, Alan Coleman's men, you know, obviously defeating the last, sort of won last week, but lost the two before. They do need to continue to win to, to stay in touch with the, the league leaders.
2: Yeah, there's a long way to go in, in, in this season. I think North Wales have been a bit of a dark horse, really, haven't they? And they they've done really well this season, but... Probably not been everybody's sort of favourites to, to go and do the business, but from what I've seen of them, they look a really good side. They're playing at Colwyn Bay as well, and I'd love to get down there and, and watch a game this season, hopefully go when when Swinton play, actually. So, uh, so yeah, but there's an awful lot to play for in that league. There's a long way to go. It's about being consistent now. Swinton, you know, they're a bit behind, but they've just got to keep winning their matches. And, uh, you know, the result against Hunslet was, it was another good one.
0: Yeah, Uh, we've got Cornwall at home uh, this week, Paul. Uh, Cornwall have had a few beatings this season, but I'm sure Alan Coleman's men won't be taking them lightly. No not
2: at all to be honest with you. I thought Cornwall were starting to improve and then at the weekend they were they were beaten by West Wales who who couldn't buy a win really and they were getting stuffed every week so that was a surprise result really for West Wales to go and win at Cornwall. Uh, congratulations to West Wales because they've had it tough as well, you know. It must be difficult getting absolutely lamped every week, you know, keeping your confidence up, but you know they did a good result there so I'm sure it's Neil uh, Kelly, the coach of uh, of Cornwall. I'm sure they want any side to bounce back there. So you know, Swinton, and Alan Coleman won't be taking them lightly whatsoever. You can't do that in in any sport, but not in rugby league. You've got to be switched on, otherwise you'll you'll get burnt. We've seen that before with with teams. So they'll be switched on for that and uh, good week training this week and go back out and and carry on winning, keep that momentum going.
0: Yeah. So that's all the rugby chat, and now we're going to be talking boxing, aren't we, James?
2: We most certainly are, Rob.
1: But before me and Paul get into all the nitty-gritty of the latest news in boxing, we've got an interview with Chris Healy. Paul spoke to him last week all about his big fight with Dave Adelaide at Wembley on the Tyson Fury-Dillian White undercard. He was unvictorious that night, but he's got a massive fight going up in the summer. And this is what he had to say.
2: Right, I'm delighted to say for Salford City Radio, we've been joined by Chris Healy, local boxer from Stockport. Chris, welcome to the show. Um, you you've just had um, a fight at Wembley Stadium, haven't you? I know you you didn't win that yeah. fight, but what what an amazing sort of build to fight on that. What was it like? What was the atmosphere like at Wembley that night?
3: Oh, it was it was mad. It was a mental atmosphere. And the whole kind of process of it all, even the weigh-in, was uh, it was completely different to what I was used to. Just like you know, seeing all the big stars coming up to the weigh-ins and at the show, and then you've got the 94,000 people screaming and everything. So yeah, it was great.
2: Did I mean just tell us a bit about how the fight came about? You did you take the fight at quite short notice? Was it a bit of a surprise for you?
3: Yeah, it was basically just under, just over. I think it was over two weeks notice I got. Um, because I was I was retiring. I won a central area title in June last year, and then um, I thought that was it now because I'm working everything. So I thought I couldn't train as much, and then my manager. Larry Smith, he rang me up and said, I've got an opportunity for you. Um, I know we have not been... Because I wasn't training or anything. I've been out of the gym for a year. So that's why I thought I was going to retire. And then he said, I've got this massive opportunity, and I don't know if it's one you can turn down, really. And then when he said what it was and where it was, I thought, well, I'm never going to get an opportunity to fight on a show like that big or anything so I just took it
2: so how did you spend that week then was you working up until like the weighing day or did you have to go out Wembley and spend yeah, a few yeah, days down there yeah it was a day before weighing so
3: up to that I was working all the way up to it and then wow. trying to fit me training me running and everything around me work so I was working from about seven till four and then I'd go straight to the gym and then I'd do my runs in the morning and everything so
2: where do you train then Chris
3: uh, it's down in Comstall, just opposite Evero Park. Right. Um, Roy Richardson's Boxing Academy, it's called. It's my old amateur gym.
2: Right, right.
3: Um, I was actually, I used to train in Salford when I first turned pro. I used to train at Oliver's gym in Salford. Right,
2: Oliver Harrison um, would that be, yeah? Yeah,
3: Oliver Harrison, yeah, so with uh, Martin Murray and that. And then I was there from when I turned pro to up to about, I think I did about four years there. Right. And then I got injured, I had like a back injury, so that like took me out of the sport for two years. Right. And then uh, I ended up moving to
2: the gym closer to me and then after that. I mean, not not a lot of boxers, not a lot of pro boxers will have to do a job and then go training afterwards. How, how tough is that sometimes? I mean, I know when I come home from work, I don't really want to do anything really, but you're going then and, and hammering the gym. That must that must be hard, that, you know, to get motivated to go and do your training after you've done like an hard day at work.
3: Yeah, yeah it can be. Sometimes you like, because I'm working all day, and then to go. home... And then as soon as you sit down, you think I've got to get back up again now and go back out and do a gym session. It is hard. I think that's a lot of people don't realise because, like, unless you're like a massive name and like fighting on you know top of the cards or big yeah. to the Olympics or anything, a lot of the lads are working every day or having to try and find sponsors and that. Yeah. So yeah. they don't have to. So that's the big struggle of it all, really.
2: Yeah, and it's a tough sport as well. I mean, your opponent, David Adela is it Adela? Adelaide. Yeah
3: he's,
2: I Adelaide he, is, yeah, he's an up-and-coming you know, fighter. He's nine nine from nine. It, it, it looked a tough fight, that to me. I know he got the stoppage on you, but you gave him some trouble, didn't you, in the early rounds?
3: Yeah, that's what I mean. I went, because... I mean, classed me as a journeyman, because I, I, I turn up, I'll fight, and uh, a lot of the times I won't get the decision. The whole fighter always gets a decision. Yeah. It's just... Uh, we make more of like a learning curve for the younger boxers, the ones with the big names. Yeah. Um, so... But yeah, I, I took it but I thought I'll have a go with this one and I'm not gonna get an opportunity like that. So I did and I, I was up on the scorecards. The referee said I had would won I think I lost the first round and won the like the second and third and then in the fourth round um he just caught me and my eye just went completely black and I couldn't see and then the referee jumped in. Yeah. So that I, was it really.
2: I did notice it was quite a quick stoppage really that you didn't take too much punishment. So you, no, you know no, you you're yeah. due to fight Ryan Charles, aren't you, in June? Um, yeah, uh, yeah, what's no, the no, what's no, the future all for Chris Eller I mean, you you obviously you were saying before about retiring and that is that on the back burner now? Do you want to carry on and, and, yeah, and, and keep yeah, fighting? Yeah,
3: I think yeah, I've I've, I've put it on because I was thinking about it, but now I've like I did Wembley and then you get the buzz back, don't you? You start wanting to do it again, so I thought yeah, I definitely have another go, I'm a crack at it, and it's just to get some money in as well. I mean, because I'm not gonna be like a world champion now, but. If you can get in enough money, you can like get a good mortgage in it, pays for an house.
2: Yeah, of course it is. It, so. yeah, yeah, definitely. So, yeah. so what what would your future ambitions be in the sport? Would you like to move into coaching afterwards, or you know, would you like to do someone else's corner, or you've got your corner man and things like that, or would you yeah. like to train kids? Have you not really thought about like your life after you retire? I mean, I know you're working as well, but would you like to stay yeah. involved in the sport?
3: Yeah, I think because I think, that was the problem like when I've been injured and that, and you're away from it. You're always wanting to get that buzz back, and you know, even if you can't fight, I think even when I like I don't box or anything, I'll be wanting to be around the gym or you know like help the kids and that.
2: Yeah, yeah.
3: And uh, yeah, so I definitely be, like start getting get into the coaching because we have like a lot of kids classes at our gym before we train, so I'd probably help out with them, and then I could even go into the seniors because I've got. Even though I've not done much as a pro, I was quite a decent amateur, like a boxer in England and everything. So yeah, yeah, I've got the experience from the amateurs, so I know what goes on with them.
2: Certainly, I've pressed it. It sounds, uh, sounds like you're doing really well. But yeah, so do you know much about your opponent for June, Ryan, Ryan Charles? Uh, is, is he a London lad? I think he's London based, is it? Yeah,
3: I think, I think he boxed in the Olympics for Dominican Republic, something like that. Um,
2: but I have seen his um, his alias, he's run him over, so he sounds like he's a big lad.
3: <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I never even look. I never really bother. Like, I'll, I'll weigh him up usually, at the weighing. Yeah. Be like then start doing all the stairs and everything, but I've seen it all before, so he just he just get in there and crack on.
2: You certainly do, mate, you certainly do. How, how did you spend, like, after the fight at Wembley, how did you spend that? Did you did you stay down in London and have a few drinks and just soak up the atmosphere? Did you get to watch the Tyson Fury fight, or was he on straight after you?
3: Yeah, yeah, we got, um, luckily, was when we first found out, they said you won't be able to watch the fight. As soon as you fight, you'd have to leave. Right. Um, But then, once the fight had happened, they said, like, we've got some seats in, like, the press boxes. Right. So you could go up there and watch it. So we did, we, we watched that, Um. We, I was coming home that night. We tried to get home, but literally we couldn't get the car out of the hotel car park because there was that many people trying to drive out. Right. So we ended up having to stay the night. We stayed the night in the hotel so, and then drove back in the morning. But well, we didn't have any drinks or anything. We uh, we tried to get something to eat inside Wembley, but the queue was that big. We I think we ended up getting a pack of pick and mix. If just picking mix style, so we ended up just getting that and spending about fifteen <laughs> quid
2: on that instead. I think you should have got like a bit of priority there, mate. You've just you've just fought a Wembley in front of all them people. You've had to queue up for pick and mix. Oh, I don't uh, it sounds like a great experience, mate. Anyway, and just, I'd just like to say thank you for, for taking your time out speaking to us on Salford City Radio. It would be great if we could catch up with you you Jr. To, to tell us about your fight against uh, against Ryan Charles, yeah, if that's yeah, all right yeah, with no, you. Like, yeah,
3: yeah it would be a good
2: one. So Yeah, yeah well, thanks very much that. for speaking to us, Chris. Take care, mate. All the best for your training and good luck in June, mate. No worries.
3: Thanks a lot, Mel. Cheers. I'll tell you
1: what, Paul, top interview there. What was it like to speak to Chris?
2: oh yeah he's a lovely lad lovely lad I just couldn't believe his story about not being able to get any food at, the, at Wembley after his fight he had to go and get a bag of pick and mix but no it just shows you uh, but I think Listening to Chris, I think it just shows you that not everybody in boxing is awash with money. I think there's an awful lot of fighters there who, who work full-time, have full-time jobs. Chris actually works for FedEx, he's a driver for FedEx. He was telling me off, off the interview about that. So they work hard, uh, some of those guys, and uh, and put the hours in the gym in between the jobs as well. So, But yeah, nice to chat to him and uh, hopefully we'll get him back on the show after he's fighting June. Hopefully. I mean, he's got a big one coming up, hasn't he, and I mean, if you look at his record,
1: he's got quite a few losses on there, but if you dig a little deeper, he boxed as an amateur f- for England,
2: and a lot of those losses are against a high level of opposition. Yeah, and, and won an uh, area title as well, so, uh, so yeah, Chris has been out of the gym for, for for a while, and he was actually saying to me he was, he was thinking about retiring until he got this call-up for, uh, for the fight at Wembley, so... You know, who can refuse a fight at Wembley? It's a massive opportunity for him. So he took that fight two weeks' notice after being out of the gym for over 12 months. So he, I, I bet he put a bit of weight on and wasn't in the best of shape. But he's, he's working very hard now to, to get back to some sort of shape for his for his fight in June. So uh, I think he's got the, the, the buzz back now for, for boxing. And, uh, you know, he's a local fighter as well. Quite a favourite around the Stockport area. So, uh, so yeah, and, and really nice fella as well. So I wish him all the luck in the world in June. And, you know, he's only 33 and um, he would probably get a few more good nights ahead of him
1: yeah we're looking forward to whatever he does next and hopefully we'll speak to him again soon but the big news of the week Paul he's one of the greatest our shores have ever produced the king Amir Khan an Olympic silver medalist at just 17 years of age without him We never would have received the funding to produce fighters, the likes of Anthony Joshua, the likes of Luke Campbell, the likes of Nicola Adams. It just wouldn't happen. He turns pro, he wins two world titles. He goes in with everybody from Canelo to Terence Crawford. He beats the likes of Kotelnik, Devin Alexander, Chris Algieri that night against Marcus Maidano, that iconic body shot. He was absolutely fantastic. Yes, he lost to Calebrock. But he gave his fans absolutely everything. The quickest hands I've ever seen in my life. What a legacy the man's left.
2: Oh, yeah, he certainly has. He, he's done wonders for, for, for British boxing. Uh, you know, Kell Brook the, the same. But Amir Khan, yeah, I think he's been a, a tremendous fighter, a tremendous entertainer as well. I mean, you can't never say Amir Khan's been in a boring fight. Every time he got in the ring, it was was fireworks, really, wasn't it? I mean, people used to criticise his chin. But even in those fights um, where, where he was beaten, very, very entertaining fact, He's been in some absolute wars and had some, some really tough knockouts as well in... And, and sometimes, you know, a boxer can get knocked out like that and you think he's finished, but he's come back and, and, and carried on fighting and, and, and never sort of really ducked anybody, he just just took the fights that were given to him and, and you've only got to go through his record, you know, check Wikipedia out or box record and just go through the, the list of people who he's fought and some tremendous names on there. It's like a who's who of boxing. So so yeah, it's it's sort of a changing of the guard really, isn't it, when you see people like that who you've grown up watching as a can and Brooke retiring. But uh, there's some other guys coming up who you can sort of emulate them. You now we probably looked up to them as as, as kids growing up. So, uh, so yeah, they, he's done an a, a awful lot of boxing and um, you know give us some tremendous fights to watch.
1: As you mentioned there, Paul, we are going through what seems like a transition period in British boxing because Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua can't have too long left. We've lost Carn, Brooke, Crawler, Tony Bellew, DeGale, Groves, etc. They've all gone. Do you see a wave of fighters coming through at the moment who can take on those reins? Or do you think we're going to have to wait for a little bit before more stars come through?
2: Um, it, it does look like we, we, we're waiting for a little bit now. I mean, I know we've got um, Connor Ben, who's who's really set the set things on fire, but he's got to step up to that next level now. Um, he really, um, we'll, we'll see. He's a work in progress, so we'll see how he goes. I, I think Chris Eubank Jr., he's, he's at a bit of a crossroads at the moment. He's probably... He's not not a spring chicken anymore. He's over thirty now, so it's about time he got a world title shot before, you know, it's too late. Um, so so yeah, there's other people coming up. There's other people coming up at British level and and things like that. So there's always people to watch out for. But uh, but at the moment, yeah, you, and Callum Smith, he's, he's another guy. who's probably coming towards, not, probably not towards the end of his career yet, but he's been out of the limelight for a little while and we know he's a world-class operator. So there's still people there. There's always going to be people coming up. It's it's, it's a great sport in, in Britain, isn't it? Boxing, you know, to cities like Liverpool, Sheffield, Manchester. There's so many people coming through, so many people in the gyms and that. And, uh, and yeah, I, I'm sure we'll see, see somebody on, on, on the television soon that'll capture our imagination.
1: Well, you mentioned Connor Bear then, and, and, and uh, Chris Eubank Jr. as well, because they've both been in the news this week. Chris Eubank Jr. Firstly, for calling out Kelbrock post-retirement, saying that Kel should come out of retirement to fight him. From my perspective, that sort of almost reeks of desperation in the case of he's begging this fighter significantly smaller than him to come out of fight, and when really he should be focusing on the world champions in his division, considering that's still something that's missing off his resume and something he really needs if he wants to go down as a great of the sport in, in Britain anyway. And as for Conor Benton, He's looking at a fight with Jose Ramirez. It's seemingly come out of the water, this. Ramirez will be coming up from the weight division below. But just two fights ago, he was a world champion, a unified
2: champion, no less. And that'd be an absolutely massive step up for Conor Ben. In fact, I'd love to see. Yeah, it would be. It would be. And people have been calling this for a while, aren't they? calling Conor ben to step up. I mean... You can't criticise, you know, the way he's fought. You so know, yeah, he's blown people away, and you'll get people saying, well, yeah, but he's blowing people away who aren't good enough and things like this. And you can only beat who's in front of you. So, and then you see the other sort of side of the coin where he steps and goes, wow, you've stepped up that far. But you know, you've got to take those fights, haven't you? And it's a short career is boxing. And the, on the other side of the coin, you mentioned Chris Eubank Jr. there, and I, I don't get what Chris Eubank Jr. would get out of fighting Kell Brook really, because it's all for him to lose. He gets beat in that fight, and he's finished, really, isn't he? And if he wins that fight, people say, well, you beat a 36-year-old man anyway, who's at the end of his career. So, what he gains from that, I don't know. For me, he should be going down the road now, fighting the best of the best, and and getting that legacy of his own, and winning a world title. With all the greatest respect in the world, Kel Brook is probably yesterday's man now, really, isn't he? He, He's done his business, he's won his world titles, he's reached his mid-30s, and he's done with. So, I didn't get what Chris Eubank Jr. is on about there, you know, calling him out. He needs to go his own way now and, and win his own world title.
1: Yeah, most certainly. It's going to be interesting to see what both of them do. Focusing on some of the action over the weekend just gone. We had a massive unification fight out in America. Jamel Charlo versus Brian Castano for every single belt in the Super welterweight division. Last time out, most felt Brian Castano had done enough to get the win and he was unf- uh, unfairly treated by the judges. This time around, Charlie left no doubt stopping his opponent in the 10th round and now he's got every single belt in the division.
2: Yeah, and good stoppage as well. And you know, it's great to, to get all the belts, isn't that? You know, unified champion, and you know, a fantastic result for him there now. And, and where does he go after that now? Is there going to be someone coming up the ladder who, who he'll take on? But no, it's no mean feat to do that. Not many boxers can can sort of say they're a unified champion. So a, a proud moment for him in his uh, career.
1: Yeah, most certainly. And another big fight, Chris. Uh... Bacoli versus Tony Oka out in France. Tony Oka winning the gold medal in Rio a few years ago. Most people thought that Joe Joyce was hard done by that night. But regardless, Martin Bacoli gets the win. Absolutely batters uh, the gold medalist. at 7-1. So a massive upset if anyone would have backed that. But yeah, a bit of a shock there. And where does Tony Oka go from there? Because he was expected to go on to potentially be a world champion. And and that uh, dream seems very much in the rear view
2: mirror right now. There's only one way you can go. You've got to rebuild, haven't you? You know, seven to one as well. It's is massive odds in, in, in boxing, isn't it? So it just shows you the, the sort of a upset there. So, yeah, the only thing you can do there is rebuild. You've got to have that hunger and desire to carry on, haven't you? And You'll get setbacks in, in your career. A lot of boxers do, don't they? A lot of boxers go on to, to be world champions. I think if you take um, Johnny Nelson, you know, the, the man on sky there, he became a world champion and was a world champion for six or seven years. But if you look back at his record, his, his record was absolutely awful when he started, really, and uh, he was losing fight after fight. So it's about how you come back from the adversity, and you know, the, and the character you show, then how much you want it as a boxer. So, uh, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see how it goes from here. But it just depends on how much he wants it.
1: No, certainly. And just to tie up the loose ends of the weekend, uh, Denzel Bentley. Uh, got a big win. Holland Eubank knocks out Sean Dodd on the same card. And then Josh Kelly missed weight. His promoters put it out that his opponent had bottled the fight, which I thought was a bit of a, an interesting term to use from a, a promoter's point of view. But what actually happened, Kelly misses the weight, and then because his opponent wouldn't agree to the fight, it, it didn't go ahead. But I feel like it's unfair to to blame the opponent on that, when really you should be making weight in the first place.
2: you're a professional, James, you should be making weight. You're a professional, you've you've got a team behind you, you've got a nutritionist, a dietitian, and everything else. These aren't just Mickey Mouse fighters who are are just going getting paid there a couple of hundred quid for fighting. You're doing it as a professional, that's your job. Your job to make weight, so you you don't call your opponent out. It's your your job. So very, very disappointing that I'm very unprofessional. But the other two you mentioned there, the Sean Dodd knockout, I saw that, Harlem Eubank, it was... uh, a cracking punch that that he got Dob with. dodd has been a been a real warrior as well. And uh, and yeah, uh, Denzel Bentley, very very talented uh, man, got the British title again. And who's he gonna fight next? There's uh, you know our local Mark Efron. He's after a after a title fight. So will he go back for that one again? He's fought him twice. I don't know whether that's the one he's lining up for next fight.
1: Yeah, most certainly it'd be interesting to see the route he takes, but. Some more news coming up. We've got a big fight this weekend. Josh Boazzi, Craig Richards, a real good domestic fight. Richards last time out losing to Dimitri Bivel, but it was very competitive. So that perhaps puts Richards in a new light now. People giving him a lot more respect that perhaps he is a genuine world level fighter. But as for Josh Boazzi, he's been pro for five years now. He's not taken that step up. He won a bronze medal at the Olympics and we all expected him to potentially be the big star of British boxing and it hasn't quite worked out like that. So he's got to put in a big performance this weekend to try and redeem himself.
2: Yeah, he certainly does. Crossroads fight for him really. This one, he loses this one. And, uh, yeah, where does he go after that, really? So, yeah, it's a chance for him to impress now on, on, a, on a big stage as well against Richards. And, uh, no, it's a, it's a close fight to call. That's a good fight. I mean, we, me and you uh, love these domestic dust-ups, don't we? We, we, we love chatting about them. We, we like our sort of... Um, Atlantic fights, don't we, and uh, things like that. But there's nothing like a d- domestic tear-up to uh, to get the juices flowing. So this one's a tough one to call. I can't call that one, to be honest with you. I'll probably edge to Watsy, but I think it's going to be a cracker.
1: I mean, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. It sort of leads into a few good months of boxing we've got coming up. Another fight that's been made for the summer, an interesting heavyweight clash between two good movers, Huey Fury and Michael Hunter. We're not going to date for it yet, but I think that one has all the ingredients of a real cracker. Well, not necessarily from... A, an aesthetic appreciation
2: point in terms of I don't think they're going to go to war,
1: but unless it'll, it'll, it'll definitely be a good skill matchup.
2: Yeah, certainly, certainly that's one to look forward to. And as you said, there, the, as we start going into the summer months now, there's there's probably going to be more fight nights made up as well that we don't know about yet. But there's some interesting fight nights coming up, and it's a, it's a good time for boxing, isn't it? This time of year, you get some outside shows and things like that. So uh, I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing some really good, uh, really good boxing in the, in the summer months. Some news on Canelo now, and Oscar De La Hoya's
1: come out and had a go at Eddie Hearn, saying that the Bivol matchup was ridiculous and he never would have let him get in with Bivol in the first place, and thus, obviously, the loss wouldn't have occurred. From my point of view, it's not the, the best message from a Prada, because it's essentially saying that you would have played it
2: safe. Yeah, it seems a, a, a strange message to send out, really, doesn't it? That? And it, it's a bit of a baffling one to, when you when you come out with a, with a statement like that, really. So I'm not sure where he's coming from with, with that one. Really. Like you say, yeah, maybe wanting to play it safe, but you know, this is this is world championship boxing. I mean, you know, Canelo there. He's one of the pound for pound best in the world. He's one of the biggest names in the world. So you've got to test yourself when you when you're that big, are you? you? can't stand about and, and pick and choose your opponents. Can you? you've got to fight the best of the best?
1: Yeah, most certainly. And we hope, regardless of what Gennady is going forward, that he continues on this trend and continues to give fights he wants. Because under yeah. Oscar De Hoya, I mean, when when he nearly fought Gennardi Golovkin all those years ago, directly after knocking out Khan, it was Golovkin was in the ring. They sold that fight, and then they postponed it for two. Well. Uh, Canelo fought Liam Smith and Julio Cesar Chavez. And we don't want to see Canelo in those sort of treading water fights.
2: No, I don't think so. I think with Canelo, he's box office, isn't he? And, uh, you know, you, you want to see him in these massive fights, these super fights. That's what we uh, we all want to see, don't we? So, uh, like you say, he needs matching up properly. And, you know, what's the point in putting him in with somebody who is going to absolutely skew? He needs a test every time he fights, doesn't he? He's that sort of world level fighter. You need a test for him, otherwise, he's going to walk all over you.
1: Most certainly, Josh
2: Taylor back in the news. He's constantly round
1: with Jack Catterall, left, right, and centre. But the WBA have released a statement claiming that they've stripped him of their belt. Taylor denies this, says he vacated it. But a strange story nonetheless.
2: Yeah, it is a strange story. I mean, Taylor's um, you know gone from being a real British golden boy, hasn't he? And- you know, since that fight with Catrally, it's sort of been taken away from him now, really, hasn't it? I think he needs a fight now where he can redeem himself, really. Not that he did anything wrong in that fight. You know, he just went out there and fought his fight, didn't he? But he's been involved with a bit of a negativity, really, there, hasn't he, since that? So I think he needs a big fight now to, to uh, sort of put his name back on the map because he's become a bit of a forgotten man of British boxing.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where he goes from here. Now that he's, he's a bit of a villain rather than a hero now but another piece of news Paul Jerome Miller is going to return to the ring on June 25th of course he was banned a few years ago for having an obscure amount of drugs in his system four or five tests he failed and three of them been within the space of a week boxing has been a better place without him over the past couple of years but he's back now and are you of the opinion that he served his ban so he deserves to be back in the sport or would you have given him a lifetime back?
2: Yeah, no, I'm not too sure. I mean, I don't, I don't believe in, in, in taking drugs in, in life in general, but particularly not in sports. So, uh, I don't know. But, he, you know, that's the the, what, the punishment that was issued to him. And if he served that time, I suppose, yeah, he does deserve another chance. But can you ever trust somebody like that again? I'm not too sure.
1: It's interesting. And the last one for you, Paul, before we sign off. Eddie Hurst says Canelo got in three. It's now the biggest it's ever been because of Canelo's loss. What do you make of that?
2: Be a super fight, two super fighters. I mean, who wouldn't want to see to see the third one between those two? I mean, yeah, you, they they would have a turn up in a phone box, them too. I'd, I'd, I'd watch it most certainly, Paul. Well,
1: thank you for joining us. I've ever this week, and the same goes for Rob. We've had a delightful show, and we'll be back this time next week to break everything down on the Sports Zone.